It's great to see you. It's great to see some familiar faces poking out over your masks. And uh, do your best today, please, to smile with your eyes at me, because it's the only way. I, unless you're going like, to raise a hand and shout, uh, which you're welcome to do. It won't put me off. Um, then I, I don't know how you're kind of engaging with me. So smile with your eyes. Um, wave at me. But uh, it's lovely to see you. It was great just to meet Greg a little earlier and be reminded of all the good things that God is doing uh, in the story of Vintage Pasadena. And uh, we've been excited ever since we heard a couple of years ago that Ben and Laura were coming out to plant this church just for what God has for you guys. And uh, I know that this is not on anybody's playbook right now, and this is not what anybody envisaged, but God is at work. And uh, just as Daniel was sharing before in the worship, you know, sometimes God is at work in the pruning of us. And uh, thankfully, God prunes us so that we will become even more fruitful. And uh, I just want to encourage any of you who feel like you're being hacked right now uh, with a pair of garden shears, maybe the Lord is preparing you for even greater fruitfulness. So it's a privilege to be here. I I think I am today um, the relief preacher. And what that means is Ben is relieved that I get to preach on these passages and he doesn't have to. Um, He spoke to me a few weeks ago and said, we're doing this series on Matthew, which I've been following along with. And uh, would you, you know, would you preach from Matthew, you know, 21, 22, 23, gave me three chapters to choose from. And I read them and I just thought, wow, I got, I got three chapters of woes and judgment. So, uh, Bless you all for coming this morning. It's been lovely to be in here waving at me. Thank you very much. It's the smalls, isn't it? It's great to see you guys. So who's, what's the fanciest wedding you've ever been to? I've been to a few weddings uh, since our time here in LA, and uh, most of them are pretty laid-back SoCal weddings where sunglasses are essential dress code, ties are optional, Um, except when I've been uh, officiating at the weddings, in which case I always wear a a suit and tie. But I've been to a few fancy weddings in my time, one of which was my own. Um, 25 years ago, we've been married, and so 25 years ago, I dressed up in a top hat with Edwardian tailcoat, and we did the whole English posh wedding thing. And uh, the only other time I had to wear a a top hat for a wedding was at my sister's wedding, and I got to be a groomsman as a lanky 16-year-old. Um, looking completely out of place in clothes like that. But have you ever been to a really fancy wedding? Maybe some of you have in L.A. You know, the the average cost of a wedding in L.A. now is $36,000. Parents, just encourage your kids to elope, okay? It's $261 per guest, but that's nothing compared to the cost of a royal wedding. So the cost of the the royal wedding for the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, that's uh, Prince Harry and Catherine, it was, uh, well, the cost of the whole affair was estimated to be over $30 million. And actually, the majority of that was on security. The reception alone cost nearly a million dollars. So royal weddings are pretty fancy affairs. Today, we're going to read a passage that talks about being invited to a wedding. We're going to try and make some sense of it in the context of the series that we've been in and in Matthew's gospel. So hopefully by the power of technology, you're going to hear the reading right now. The reading today is Matthew 22, 1 through 14. 
And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who were invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot, cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Amen. Thank you for that reading. So you can see I picked a light-hearted passage for the week before Thanksgiving. And uh, we've got weddings. Um, we've got destruction and murder. We've got death. I mean, it's a great soap opera, really. And that's the point of parables. Parables are meant to be like this subversive critique of things that are going on. They're supposed to tell us something about what Jesus is doing. And they're often kind of cloaked and mysterious. And I don't know if you remember, but uh, when Jesus told his first parable, he quoted from the prophet Isaiah. He said, you know, I tell parables because some of you will hear but not be hearing. Some of you will listen but not perceive. And the challenge with parables is like when we come up against the brick wall of what does this mean? Will we give up and be those who don't hear? Or will we press in to be open to what God might have to say to us? I pray today that we'll be hearing and we will hear. That we'll be listening and that we will perceive because that's the challenge of a parable. It's in the context of the final week of Jesus' life. Jesus has just arrived. Um, in chapter 21, he has what we, we call the triumphal entry. We celebrate it on Palm Sunday. He's come into Jerusalem. He's staying at Bethany, which is not far. It's just a short walk away from Jerusalem. And we see that he comes to the temple one day to teach, and he's challenged in chapter 21 by the priests and the Pharisees who are at the temple, and they ask him, what authority do you have to teach? And in typical Jesus enigmatic fashion, he says, hmm, let me ask you a question. Who do you say John the Baptist was? What authority did he have? And he puts them in this bind because they say, well, we know the people think he's a prophet, in which case his authority is from God. But if we say that, we'll have to kind of admit that maybe Jesus is a prophet as well. So they say, well, yeah, we don't know how to answer that question, Jesus. And Jesus says, well, I'm not going to answer your question then. But let me tell you three parables. And this parable is the last of these three parables that he tells him. So he tells them as the Pharisees after they've questioned his authority. 
So he starts by saying, again, Jesus spoke to them in parables. And again means he's just told them two parables to answer their question. This parable is about what authority do you have, Jesus? It's important that you understand that's the context of him telling this parable. He's, he's turned over the tables in the temple just a few days before. He's, he's causing a stir in the temple and with these priests. And he says, let me tell you a parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. So straight away, Jesus is saying, this is about the kingdom of God. Let me tell you about the kingdom of heaven. It's happening right now in Jesus' time. You need to understand it. And one of the things I don't want you to miss in all of this is that it's described as a great wedding feast. The kingdom of heaven is a place where there is celebration and lavish abundance. Don't lose sight of that in what follows. And Jesus has, the king, sorry, in this story, has invited people to come to this wedding feast, the wedding feast of his son. The king is hosting a banquet. Can you imagine how lavish that's going to be? Well, actually, he tells us in the story. He says, again, he sent other servants to the invited guests saying, tell those who are invited, see, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the feast. So Jesus, sorry, the king, has invited people to come to the wedding. Now, unlike our invitations to weddings, which would say, hey, so-and-so invites you to come to a wedding at this time, at this place, please respond. And you'll respond, yeah, sure, I'll be there at that time, at that place. In order to make a feast this lavish, oxen, cattle, would be slaughtered and prepared and cooked. And anybody who knows anything about how you do a good barbecue knows that it's slow and it takes time, right? Like I've only been here 10 years and I know California isn't the barbecue capital of America, but I've learned a few things about how to cook meat on heat, okay? And, and slow is good. So it takes time. And so this wedding, prep, this wedding invitation would be, hey, please tell me that you're gonna come and celebrate and when the food is ready, we'll let you know. That's how the invitation would work. When the food is ready, we'll let you know. So these servants had been sent out not to invite the guests, but to tell the invited guests, the food is ready. Come now. The banqueting table is prepared. Come now. Actually, when it says, come now, it's like a directive. It's like, come right now. That's, that's what the servants are saying. And I just want to pause for a moment. The kingdom of God sometimes will come to us with a moment of decision and an invitation to come right now. It, it will make us uncomfortable. And there's going to be a few things that I say from this passage which are going to make us uncomfortable. And I just want you to know that if you feel uncomfortable, the parable is working. That's kind of the point. 
And so just as these people who, who you would assume that to a royal wedding, they would be people of status, they would be leaders and people of, of influence. These were the invited guests, but they refused to come. They refused the gracious invitation of the king to come. And he goes on and he says, but they paid no attention and went off one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully and killed them. The king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Now maybe reading this passage now, like maybe you're starting to squirm in your seat a little bit. It's like, well, you know, that was then, this is now, you know, we don't live in those days. What is Jesus trying to tell us? What is he trying to tell his listeners there and then about the kingdom of God? Imagine some of you, I'm, I'm going to hazard a guess, a handful of you here may be old enough to have paid for a wedding. Or, or maybe you're on the brink of having to pay for a wedding. Maybe even you paid for your own wedding. I don't know. But could you imagine paying for a wedding, sending out all the invitations, making all the preparations, maybe even you know, the preparations to accommodate your guests, hiring the caterers, whatever it looked like, standing at the wedding feast, waiting to greet your guests who told you that they were going to come and then they don't show up. Would you just be like, oh, you know, oh well, next time. You'd be, at, at the least, you'd be a bit disappointed. But I'm guessing since your guests said that they would come and they haven't showed up, you would probably be a bit angry. You know what? Let me tell you something. God is no stranger to anger. Anger today is, is something that gets twisted. It either becomes some twisted virtue that we should be angry at everything, or anger is something that, or we just can't have anger. You know, we don't do anger. Um, anger is just a really bad thing. Well, both of those are really bad distortions of actually a, a virtuous anger and, and righteous anger. But, but God is a God who is slow to anger. He's not a God who never gets angry. He's a God who's slow to anger. And it's important that we remember that as we think about this king who, who it feels very unjust that you, know, you didn't reply, you didn't come when you were invited, and so I'm going to burn your cities down. It's like, you know, try that next time you don't show up to community group. You know, keep an eye out just in case you communicate. No, I'm kidding, obviously. The priests and the Pharisees know already from the, from the last parable, it says they already knew that Jesus was talking about them. His parables were about them. What does that mean for them? It means that they understand the story of Israel. They understand the gracious invitation through God's servants, the prophets, to, to come to God, to come worship God, to come and be in God's presence. It means that they understand that just as Israel historically persecuted the prophets, Jesus even refers to that in the Beatitudes. Do you remember what he says? Blessed are you when you're, 
reviled and people speak against you because, because that's exactly what they did with the prophets. And remember where this question started is like, by what authority do you have to speak to the temple? Well, let me ask you this. Who do you think John the Baptist is? Oh, well, we think he's a prophet. And, and what happens? Well, we're going to chop his head off. And so what do we think about Jesus? Well, he's probably a prophet as well. He, he's another servant who's come to say, come now, the kingdom of heaven, this banqueting feast is ready. Are you going to come? Because the king's inviting you right now. And they understand that in the history of Israel, when the people are unfaithful, the people have been handed over to their idols, normally at the hands of their pagan occupiers, Assyria, Babylon. Or who's that now? It's Rome. He's warning them, hey, if you don't come now, in fact, if you're going to kill the prophets who've been sent to you twice, three times graciously sending you this invitation, if you're going to kill the prophets, understand that God's anger will burn against you. The cities will be burnt down. In fact, that's what happens when the Romans sacked Jerusalem um, just a few years later in AD 70. It's shocking to us. We don't, we don't like this. We don't like that God might be angry. You know, we say today things like, God is love, and he is. We say, God is good, all the time, all the time, God is good, or at least the Pentecostals do that. We sing, you're a good, good father, but, but God's first self-disclosure in Scripture ends up being one of the most repeated verses through the Old Testament, and it was when he revealed himself to Moses, he hid Moses in a rock, and he said, Yahweh Yahweh, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. Gracious, compassionate, if you, depending on your translation, merciful, rich in love. We like all that stuff. Slow to anger, ooh, not so sure about that. But he's slow to anger. But understand that there comes a point where God's anger may last for a moment, the psalmist says, but his favor lasts for a lifetime. If people object to an angry God in the Old Testament, it tells me they haven't read the Old Testament properly. It tells me they don't see the faithfulness and the compassion and the mercy pouring out of God. They just look at these awkward passages and say, look, you know, a, a, a city got burned and like we can't tolerate an angry God like that. No, 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 you haven't read the whole story to see God's anger in comparison to his great mercy and his compassion. We can't, we can't cherry pick what we like about the kingdom and what we dislike about the kingdom. Jesus is telling these parables and saying, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. If you want in, come now. And then there's a twist in the story. God's anger is but a drop compared to the ocean of his faithful love. So he says to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good, 
And so the wedding hall was filled with guests. Oh, we're back on an even keel. We like this version in the story. We like this little bit about God's inclusivity and his grace. We love the fact that Jesus sends out, his, sorry, the king sends out his servants now to say, just invite them all, good and bad. Let them come in to the wedding feast. And this actually should be a challenge to us today as the church, that the invitation to come to the feast of the kingdom of heaven is open to everyone. I absolutely believe that this gospel of the kingdom is entirely universally inclusive. The invitation is to everybody, good and bad. There isn't anybody in your sphere of influence, no matter how much they annoy the heaven out of you, who should be excluded from the invitation to come to this wedding feast. There is not a people group. There is not a group with an ideology or a lifestyle preference that should not be invited to come to this feast. But then Jesus throws another twist in at us. It's like, Jesus, what's with all these twists? Just tell us a nice story. But parables don't work that way. They confront us continually. They challenge the way that we think about things. And so this gracious invitation where the servants went out, it says to the crossroads, the crossroads in the city would be the place of most diversity where people are coming and going from different places. If you want diversity, go to, go to the crossroads where the highways intersect. People coming from who knows where they're coming from, you'll find them at the crossroads. The king didn't tell his servants only to invite those they liked the look of. Everyone we come across is to be invited. God's grace is outrageous. Have you ever been offended by God's grace? I know I have. And when I'm offended by it, it's just a reminder. It's like, oh, there's more of a Pharisee in me than I care to admit. It convicts me when it offends me. And then we read this final twist. But when the king came to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Just when we were getting to like Jesus, he throws in this one. This inclusive, open to all invitation to, for the good and the bad. Come to the wedding feast. And now we find out that the king's going to kick someone out because they weren't dressed properly. What is that all about? And here is the challenge. This is actually the challenge of the gospel to all of us. All of us have been invited. It's a gracious invitation. But 
Our response requires something of us. This is a silly little comparison, but imagine that you got invited, you were given a a free personal invitation to attend the next Academy Awards dinner, the Oscars. I I mean, maybe some of you actually do get invited. I I don't know everybody who's here and who's watching, but I've never been invited. I'd love an invite sometime. And it was to sit amongst the honored guests, you know, all the famous people, the swanky people who sit down at the front and smile and laugh when they're on camera. Try not to look upset when their name isn't read out. Those people, you get to sit with them. Imagine I had the invitation in my hand and I turned up on the red carpet in my sandals, my beach shorts, and my ripped t-shirt. And not because it's cool, just because I couldn't be bothered. It's like, didn't you get the invitation? Oh no, I've got the invitation here. Oh yeah, well you got the invitation, but if you're gonna come in, you're required to be dressed a certain way. The fact that I'm standing there in in beach shorts and sandals at the Oscars thinking that I'm going to step onto the red carpet tells me that I didn't value the invitation that I was given. Are you tracking with me? Smile with your eyes at me or just nod, humor me, anything. All right, that's good. You're still alive. And it's a little like that. It's It's not a perfect analogy. But the invitation to the kingdom of God requires something from us. It requires that we say yes and we come immediately and it requires that we wear the proper attire. What is that all about? Is that about dress codes in church? No, it's not, thank God. We don't have to dress up to come to church. But remember the context. This is a critique of the Jerusalem leaders. This is a critique of those in Jesus' day who are are not responding to God's invitation. What is it that they have closed themselves? Well, Jesus repeatedly um, criticized the religious leaders. Not every religious leader, but there there was a sense of they, they were full of their own pride. They refused to listen to what God did because they were too busy you know, I'm looking after my own business and my own interests. I've got to go to the farm, not go work on the kingdom of God. It's selfishness and pride. This, the, guy, the fact that this guy, you know, Jesus graciously again says, friend, friend, where's your wedding garment? And he was speechless. He had no response, which suggests that maybe perhaps this was an intentional uh, decision to dishonor the king to come to a royal wedding without the right wedding garment. So what is it that we dress ourselves in? Well, that's where Jesus conveniently ends the parable with this little thing. You know, many are called, but few are chosen. What's that even about? What's interesting is in the, in the Greek language, those words for called and chosen sound very similar. So it would be like a pithy rhyme ringing in the ears of Jesus' listeners. Many are called, but few are chosen. Well, I think we can understand a couple of things, and the Apostle Paul might be able to help us. The Apostle Paul writes to the Galatians and says, As many of you as were baptized into Christ have exactly the same word, clothed yourselves 
with Christ. Mm. As many of you who have been baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Have you been baptized in Christ? Have you been baptized in water? Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Baptism, according to Paul's understanding, is our identification with Christ's death so that we can share in his resurrection life. It's putting off our old self in readiness to clothe ourselves. Notice the responsibility is for us to clothe ourselves in his new life. Once more, he says in the letter to the Colossians, therefore, as God's chosen people, chosen, many are called, few are chosen. Paul says, as God's chosen people, dearly beloved, clothe yourselves. What with? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. The clothes we're called to wear, the wedding garment that we're called to wear is Christ-likeness. We're, in, we're invited to the, the, the wedding of the king's son, and we want to be dressed it turns out, in the clothes of the king's son. Don't, don't push this parable too far. This isn't about the church being the bride. That's not, that's not what this parable is talking about. There's other scriptures that talk about how the church is going to be a bride. So friends, how does this parable speak to you today? Are you those who know that you've been invited into the kingdom of God? but you've been distracted by you know, your own cares, your own business, my farm, my trade, whatever. And when you've heard the call, come now, the urgent call, come now into the kingdom. You've ignored it and put it off. Maybe you've even resisted it and shamed those who've called you. Friends, that doesn't lead to good things. Maybe you'll like those who know that there's a gracious second invitation that you've been called to the wedding. Are you properly dressed? Have you been baptized in water? I want to encourage you if, you, if you need to get baptized in water, speak to Ben or one of the leaders. Find a community leader who's got you know, a big bathtub or a swimming pool or something. Get baptized. If you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, speak to some of the prayer team. They're available online after the service. There'll be some here in person. Ask them to pray for you, to be baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you need to clothe yourself in compassion and kindness and gentleness and patience and above all, put on love? This is a challenging season to wear that outfit. Amen? Perhaps today we need to commit to clothe ourselves in that outfit afresh. I want to just finish with a quote if I may, from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who wrote widely on discipleship. Uh, and the reason actually I was excited to, to speak from this passage is because this is, you've been doing a series in Matthew on discipleship. This is the call to discipleship. 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. It's baptism without church discipline. It's communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living in incarnate. Costly grace confronts us as a gracious call to follow Jesus. It comes as a word of forgiveness to the broken spirit and the contrite heart. It is costly because it compels a man to submit to the yoke of Christ and follow him. It is grace because Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Vintage Pasadena this morning, the king is extending a gracious invitation to you. It's an invitation that on your own, you're not worthy to receive. It's an invitation of kindness that finds you wherever you are, how you are, exactly as you are. But it's an invitation that will not settle to leave you where you are. It's an invitation that bids you to come and follow Christ. Let's pray and then I think Ben's going to come and lead us in communion. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this gospel of the kingdom. We thank you that there is a feast that we're invited to be part of. We thank you that in the kingdom there is lavish abundance. Father, we confess the pride in our own hearts that sometimes chooses to do our own thing, to go our own way, instead of to respond to your gracious invitation. God, we thank you that you are slow to anger. God, forgive us when we are even slower to obey and to respond. Would you clothe us today in the humility of Christ, the compassion of Christ, the the kindness of Christ, the love of Christ. Even in our homes and with those that we're around day to day, God, would you dress us in Christ? And just sensed this morning as I was praying before I came that perhaps there are uh, one or two people here or watching online today and you've you've heard the king's gracious invitation not just once maybe not even twice but you've refused to accept it and I believe the Lord is just convicting you right now just with his kindness to say today's the day today's the day for you to say yes to commit your life to following Christ. If that's you, please just go online, uh, go to the prayer team. I think the details are coming up either now or at the end of the service. Just speak with them. And will will you agree to accept the gracious invitation of the King today? Bless you, Vintage Pasadena. 
bit of privilege to be here. Ben, over to you.